Hello, and welcome back to the Disc Golf Hour. I'm Liam, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy. Hello. And this week, we are here to talk about all things coverage. Uh, so this last week was the kind of kickoff to the more large-scale DGPT season with the Las Vegas Challenge. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and it got us thinking about coverage as a whole. So we figured we'd talk about that for this podcast episode. We'll also catch you up on some news, talk about the tournament itself, and then we've got a, a hot disc on the desk for you uh, later on in the episode. Uh, yeah, so let's start with the news. There's a couple of things that I think are worth talking about. The first one is that Eagle McMahon announced that this that the LVC was going to be the last tournament he plays for a couple months, right, Jared? Yeah, sometime in April, so not quite a full two months, but I think he's he's planning to come back a similar time to to Simon. So maybe first or second week of April is is what I've heard. And he's rehabbing an injury? Yeah, as far as I can tell, it's so that he, he's been notably, or one of the most exciting parts of his game has been notably absent. He hasn't been throwing many, if any, forehands. And I think he's planning to sort of recuperate and rehab that injury if if at all possible and try to figure out what's wrong and how he can uh sort of progress in yeah, terms I hope of it, that injury i hope it's not tendonitis or something like that right that's sort of what we saw with simon last year was he was like oh i can't throw forehand without some pain you know i'm gonna take some time to rehab yada 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 and then it turned into this really like arduous process for him so hopefully yeah, I'm still to... not sure if they entirely figured out what was up with Simon. But yeah, hopefully it's not the same thing because that seemed less than ideal. I, he basically had tennis elbow was the was the issue. Like it was like really like acute tendonitis from from watching his mm-hmm. vlogs. That's what my understanding of it was. And so like it was just a situation where like it needed to be treated and like he needed to properly re-strengthen those muscles which is a, a big part of the physio for, for tendonitis but it's awkward because those muscles in the arm like that are, are hard to strengthen there's it's weird it's a weird kind of muscle group to target i think um and uh yeah hopefully with eagle it's not the same thing i mean we've we've talked about this before but like if you slow-mo forehand form in disc golf it is horrifying to look at like, a lot what, of people yeah what what the person's body is doing like i i don't know i don't throw very many forehands in disc golf i I throw it all the time in ultimate and maybe the ergonomics are aren't are similar or similarly horrible looking in ultimate but man watching some of these really long distance forehand throwers throw forehands in slow-mo just like like, it makes me genuinely uncomfortable sometimes it's um, funny we were we were talking about one of the to go on a tangent a little bit one of the smoothest throwers who did did very well at LVC Tristan Tanner is probably oh, yes. one of the exceptions to that really super slow super smooth and he he looks like he's hardly throwing like he's doesn't look like he's putting much if any stress on his body but he still yeah, gets the he, he still distance. had injury issues last this last year didn't he like that is true I don't know if it was like related to that but yeah good point yeah like (laughs) 
I mean, he also famously in some of his vlogs, like, I think he has a vlog titled, like, How I Can Throw Full Power Every Practice Session. And, like, <laughs> I was laughing because I remember watching it and being like, I mean, the actual answer to this is you're 22. Like, that's why you can throw full power every practice session and, like, recover, you know? It's not it's not necessarily, like, only because of some form thing you're doing that no one else is doing. It's also because you're a child. Like, <laughs> Well, not a child, but a young adult. Yeah, there's lot lots of collagen still pumping through his veins. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's 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 one news item. The other one is uh, it got announced sort of right before right before LVC. But Jomez, the post production company, and you know, this conveniently is going to lead into our talk about the uh, about the tournament and about coverage uh they purchased the rights to create the post-production content for the mpo lead card for the next two years and they paid a half a million dollars for it um so this is the first time we've had some sort of deal like this disclosed right like we we also know that there are some other contracts that got signed right gatekeeper i think has the has the rights to the uh, FPO lead card. MPO uh, chase card, I think. I MPO think G- chase card. G- GK, GK is, right, it's GK. FPO lead card. FPO lead. Um, we don't know the exact amounts that they paid for these these cards, but this is kind of an interesting take on on post-production coverage, I will say. And it's it's cool because it's actually something that at this point is very like uniquely disc golf that I think other, um, like other sports could could steal potentially like i actually think that if you did like a post-production coverage of like a ball golf tournament if you had a very exciting uh card of like four players that people really wanted to see like that that might actually do well right like i i think that could be that could be pretty interesting so it, it's it's cool i mean that the, that it costs this much uh that's a good sign i guess in the sense that like it means disc golf is doing well it means that jomez is doing well enough that they can afford to afford to make this kind of purchase but uh yeah it's cool it's also i guess kind of interestingly indicative of like how much money creating that content is worth to jomez right like if they're willing to pay a half a million for two years of mpo lead card like you got to think that they're they're valuating it so such that they think they're still going to make money out of that process like yeah and that's just the rights right they have a lot of other costs as well of course yeah 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 yeah. they still also have to like actually do the work um okay cool so that's it for the news so i I mean we've already sort of talked about coverage and and about the lvc do you want to talk about the tournament itself first jerry do you want to talk about coverage our main topic let's talk about coverage and then we'll head into the the the, the kind of the tournament section okay sure that sounds good to me so yeah so there's sort of a couple of different types of coverage there's live coverage which has only in very recent years become more popular the convent uh, the one that is most widely used is dgn in years past smashbox has done live disc golf coverage although like not nearly on the scale that dgn has um and then there's post-produced contact con- uh, content which is and was the norm for disc golf for quite a long time so this is you have a camera crew that follows around one maybe two cards per round and then they go and and slice together all of the the footage so you end up with about an hour to an hour and a half um video of the of the event and you usually have uh commentary 
on it afterwards. So there's there's sort of uh, a couple of different things that are worth talking about with with this coverage thing and a bunch of different in innovations that have kind of happened recently. So let's start with talking about live coverage because this is the more recent thing and, and there's there's I think more to talk about it. Jerry, you're you're a subscriber to DGN, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have been for a couple of years now. Yeah, and so do you do you think it's worth it? I mean, I'm I'm obviously a subscriber, so I I believe it's worth it to me. I could see reasons why some people might not want to do it and it might not be worth it to them and that's that's their prerogative but yeah how, I, how much I, does it cost again uh so with the pdga membership which i'm gonna have regardless of if i subscribe to dgn or not it's 5.99 per month with us for our international and canadian viewers so a little bit more in your respective currencies most likely and uh, if you don't have a PDGA membership, it's eleven ninety nine per month, or I think there's a yearly uh, rate, which is a hundred dollars. So you get basically two two free months if you buy it for the year. What content do they show when it's not like uh, DGPT season? Uh, they'll get pros, and they do like live rewatches. So like they did a live rewatch with James Conrad through Worlds. Uh, they do uh, some like fun challenges. They have podcasts. They have uh, a few other things as well. But those are the predominant off season and like sort of extras you get. Like I think they added a new podcast this year, "The Roots of Flight," which is all about like the history of disc golf and sort of looking at how the sport sort of came up and the history aspects. Uh, Hannah Macbeth's podcast, the Party Podcast, which is uh, an FBO focused podcast, is is also hosted on it. Hmm. So there are okay. some exclusive things you get apart from just the coverage as well. Okay, and then let's let's get back to talking about the actual coverage because I guess that is sort of what our our main topic is. I think that. Uh, do you think that there's there's something about it being live that like is either better or worse than 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 post production? Like, are there elements yeah, so that you it, like about the live coverage? Elements that you dislike? I grew up watching live sports. Like ever since I was a kid, I watched soccer and and basketball were the the two sports I was the most interested in. And there was a time where I watched basically everything, but the NFL sort of moved up into the the sports I watched like all the time and actively followed. Uh, so I've always been really interested in watching live sports and I was never much one for like recording an event and staying off social media or I, if it wasn't live, I basically just looked at the score and if it was really interesting, I might search out some highlights, but I was never interested in going back and watching something that wasn't happening live. And the more I've thought about it, the more I think one of the biggest differences for me is in the commentary and how genuine the commentary gets to be for live coverage as opposed to post-produced. Because mm. there's basically a trade-off with, with live commentary. You can't get the best commentators because the best commentators are professional are players. players they're, yeah. they're playing in the tournament. But the trade-off is 
with post-produce because they're all players in the tournament. If there's an exciting thing that happens, they already know it's happened. And so they're like faking a response. They're like doing a best genuine impression, but they already yeah, know like it's happened. Like they're they're trying to be as shocked as they can be, but like they were there. You can arguably see some of them probably. Yeah, like if the, if there's an ace or when James Conrad throws the greatest shot in disc golf history, like you can't pretend you didn't know that, that it was that gonna was happen. Coming. Yeah. Like and it does it does have a tendency to come off as like not genuine because it isn't right like at the end of the day and like that's not a failing of the people who are doing the post production commentary it's just a failing of the system like it's just not possible exactly and for me i've noticed that i'm starting to get excited when watching live coverage but i never get like super animated when i watch jomez coverage like yeah for me it just isn't as exciting which is one of the main draws to the the live coverage for me right makes sense i um i think too it it is it is a bit of a weird weird thing though because like like you were saying you can't get the best commentators because the best commentators are players and i i do feel that effect quite a lot of the time when we're watching live coverage like i often watch it muted uh to be to be totally honest and just like talk to you about what's going on because i i don't know it, it we just like we're not yet at a point i think where the live commentators have enough training necessarily to really add a ton uh in some situations obviously and, and this is not a, a blanket statement about all commentators or anything like that this is just like uh my sort of feeling about it a lot of the time i think that it's it's one of these things where we are still getting good disc golfers to do commentary a lot of the time and that's good for the color commentator role but i do think that disc golf and particularly like live disc golf coverage is still lacking somewhat in like high quality play-by-play commentators like ian anderson who does like the central coast disc golf and works with the dgpt is great he's very good but i I, i think that after him there's a bit of a cliff in live commentating, live commentary play by play commentators specifically, agree. and like that does make it a little tough to listen to sometimes. It's not that they're terrible; it's just that like I would rather provide my own commentary. I guess. <laughs> I just I just don't feel like it really like adds to the experience enough. Well, yeah, and especially we have some experience doing commentary ourselves, so it gives us a bit of a unique perspective sort of looking at it and knowing that what they are aren't doing that could could improve the broadcast yeah for sure and i mean it it is like it's so important like if you look at historic sports moments across sports like there are so many really iconic calls uh and i don't think that disc golf really has one of those yet you have a bunch of a bunch of really iconic moments but the sound of those iconic moments is always the crowd like with conrad shot or you know a couple a couple of times Macbeth shot 18 under it's never been something where the the commentator has really like elevated that moment and made it even more exciting it's been that the crowd is really exciting and hyped to listen to and that's really what you want to listen to right 
Um, so it would be, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see if that like slowly improves as, I mean, for one thing, people get more experience, right? Like to, to, to be fair to these people who are doing like a lot of the live commentary, like this is all super new, right? Like disc golf has really exploded. The demand for live commentary has really exploded. And so you've had people kind of thrust into these roles who like, you know, they're learning, they're still figuring it out. And like, I'm not sitting here saying that I could necessarily do a better job. I just, I think that there's, there's uh, still, still room for, for growth there. And I think I, I'm looking forward to it, like going forward. Like that's, it's not enough to make me not want to watch live commentary. It is just like, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I would rather just talk over the, the footage myself. Yeah. And I think they're sort of moving in the right direction for me. Like, I think it's getting to the point where there's going to be players who were professionals and have the charisma to commentate are going to be retiring soon. Like the first one's already coming through. Brian Earhart signed a a contract with the DGPT to do some commentary this year. So we're going to be getting Brian Earhart. And if he's anywhere near as good as he is live on, as he was on post-produced, I think he's going to be sort of yeah, the bar good. for the the color commentator. And he, I think he's good enough that he'll be able to cover for like, if they don't have Ian on play by play, he'll be able to sort of steer the broadcast from his role as well, which I think will be good to watch and mostly listen to, I guess, but yeah, makes sense. I think, I think it is like one of these things where like, it'll get better as people get more experience doing it. Like e- even the people that I'm like, e- even some of the people who currently maybe aren't as strong, like they will just like, as they do more events improve. And I think they all have, like, I-, I will say like the difference in coverage from like a year or two ago and now across the board is like way better. You yeah. Know, it's, I, done, it's done nothing but get better over time. It's not like there are there. It's, it's not like it's some situation where it's like, wow, I can't wait till they get these bums out of the commentary booth. It's like, no, no, no. Like, they're getting better. It's improving. It's just new. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's live coverage. We love the experience. We're still learning to love the commentary. How do you feel about like the filming and stuff? Is it okay for you? And so that, that's the other thing I was going to point out is there are still some growing pains with the filming, but it's so much better than it was two years ago or even at the beginning of last year like sort of halfway through last year i think they mostly figured it out and like the quality is much better the production is much better like they're cutting to the right cameras they're they're filling the time much better like they clearly have more cameras so they're able to like fill your time with golf shots and they're doing a much better job of like having clips ready to play in the downtime. So they're not just like cutting back to the commentators. Every time the lead card needs to walk down the fairway, they're like splicing in like shots for somebody charging up the leaderboard or they're like doing chase card check-ins or they're showing highlight reels of the person who's clearly winning the tournament. Like they're, they're just finding much better ways to fill in the, the air and you're not seeing the same like montage of Katrina Allen winning last week's tournament or Paul Macbeth like shooting 18 under on this course three years ago or whatever 
they're like mm-hmm. it the content is much more relevant and less repetitive yeah, like apt, than it basically. used to be yeah yeah, yeah. So. And it seems like too they're they're making better decisions like with technical difficulties in mind. Like we talked about this when we were talking about the DGPT uh, locations and like how some of them had shifted. And you were saying that like some of those choices were made, like the choice to not have Masters Cup as a as a uh, main DGPT stop was motivated by the fact that like cell coverage out there is dirt. It's really bad, and so it's hard to provide live coverage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's live. And then in terms of post-produced coverage, I guess um, Jared's already kind of been colloquially referring to it as, as Jomez coverage, which uh, for those who, who aren't aware, maybe some of our listeners who, who don't watch disc golf as much, um, that Jomez really is the bar for post-produced co- uh, coverage. They've been doing it for coming on a decade now, I think, right? Like maybe even a bit more. They've been doing it for ages and ages. They were the first, or at least one of the first, uh, and they've stuck around the longest. And for a long time, uh, they were the bar in terms of in terms of quality. So the post-produced coverage, it's it's highly edited, kind of cut together. And the advantage of having the post-produced coverage is that you get um, whoever you want on commentary, right? So like sometimes they'll get someone who is even on the card doing commentary. And for me, actually, that's, those are some of my favorite post-produced rounds to watch are where you're, you've got uh, like a play-by-play commentator. And then the color commentator is actually like someone who was on the card because I feel like they can really usually provide like really interesting insight. Yeah. The context you get is really interesting. And like, they're able to say like, oh, the wind was doing this, stuff like that, whereas the other commentators are just speculating based on what it was doing when they played. Or, yeah. But you just get like really cool insight if somebody was who is doing commentary who is playing on that card. Yeah, like you get you get little notes like, oh yeah, she wanted to throw this disc, but it has been flipping on her today for some reason. And so she decided to throw this one instead. She was talking about it with the card beforehand. Like there's lots of there's lots of like pretty interesting stuff like that. So the interesting thing to note, I guess, about post-produced co- coverage is it's not just Jomez now, right? There really are a couple of companies that have uh in the last couple of years really like upped their game in terms of quality. So I mean, we've already named them both because they're, they've also paid to produce specific parts of the DGPT. Um, and that's uh, Gatekeeper Media and GK Pro. Um, do you think that they're on par? Do you think, like, what, what do you think separates these, um, these media companies currently? For me, the quality is pretty comparable. The only real difference is the commentators. And sort of the vibe, Jomez, who is the biggest company, sort of have like a a jokey vibe, I think. Gatekeeper have, and GK Pro both have a fairly sort of more professional vibe. They're they're not stiff by any means, but they're, they, I, I, my viewpoint is that they have a bit more professionalism. Mm-hmm. To them, not not to say it's bad. Like I really enjoy the Jomez coverage, but sort of their choice in commentators and their sort of like aesthetic is like their graphics aren't quite as clean. They're often like sort of neon, brightly colored, whereas like gatekeepers are like very clean lines, very like sort of monotone colors. GK Pro yeah. is like 
and Gatekeeper both very much stick to like their color, their palette. Yeah. And they, they have sort of all three of them have sort of established commentary now. Like GK Pro has the, the two hot geese team, which is uh, Erica Stinchcomb and, uh, man, I forget the other commentator. This is bad. Uh, <laughs> they often uh, get uh, the Kevin Jones and Luke Humphreys as well, right? On GK Pro. Um, that's for the skins match. Yeah, they, Luke, Luke Humphreys runs the skins match and he does their, uh, they have an interview series Yeah, where Luke, Luke Humphreys will sit down and do like an hour long interview with, with a professional player and like sort of go over how they started playing disc golf and like it's like a pretty deep dive and a pretty personal interview so those are those are cool to watch and then Gatekeeper I might not be for... able to keep him if he keeps playing like he is <laughs> i was gonna say yeah he's lit it up at lbc on a heater and then gatekeeper traditionally has nate nate perkins and brian Earhart doing their okay. commentary and one of the coolest things gatekeeper introduced is they did uh slow-mo like sort of form breakdown once around so like take somebody who has like good or unique or interesting form and do a slow-mo like breakdown in brian Earhart and nate will break down their form hmm. which is I, kind actually of, i've watched kind of cool very watch. little gatekeeper footage i've watched a lot of gk pro and i've watched a lot of jomas i have I, I will admit i have not watched a ton of gatekeeper yeah it's it's definitely the tertiary one because like when you watch Jomez, you already know how all the people in Gatekeeper do. So you're like, right, it's, it's pretty awkward. deep that I've been watching them because I've already done like what I'll do that in a in a season is I'll go back and watch last year's coverage for that that tournament to like remind myself of what the course is and who's who's played well uh, uh, for fantasy purposes. Mm-hmm. And then, but I often do that like. A couple weeks in advance so if i have time like the week before the event i'll go back and watch the gatekeeper coverage because i've already watched the jonas coverage from last year so <laughs> right fair enough do you have anything else that you want to talk about in terms of coverage or do you want to move on to talking about lvc and, and kind of our thoughts on the event uh yeah i think it might be interesting to talk about like where we see the future of of disc golf coverage going i think that's one of like the most controversial things right now is that there's sort of like a hardened group of disc golf fans that you haven't bought up into the production yeah. that haven't haven't uh, bought into the live coverage yet, mm-hmm. and so they're like an, an often discussed topic in any disc golf group, often Facebook group, is whether there's spoilers allowed or not because now there's like a pretty decent proportion of of disc golf fans who are watching live and want to discuss what's happening live but there's obviously the reciprocal amount of people who uh prefer to watch post-produced and aren't watching live and so if you're discussing all the the events as they're happening half the people or whatever proportion of the people don't know what you're talking about and sort of have got the post-produced coverage spoiled. So yeah, it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see which, which group wins out. I, I think 
more and more people are going to go to live as the i was going to say i i have a feeling that live coverage is the i mean it sort of depends like they're going to need to still hammer out some of the kinks but i think the future is live coverage like live sports are like there's a reason why every other sports league is is predominantly dominated by 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 live coverage right like live coverage is more complicated to do than post-produced coverage uh there's like more more moving parts to setting it up which i think is why disc golf started with post-produced coverage because it was like more achievable basically um but like increasingly now like as there's more and more money going into it like i i i i don't i i think that the post-produced coverage will continue to exist um but I do think there's there's maybe something to be said. Like it might change even. Like it might you might see it shift to more and more of like we had someone from the card on the post production to talk about it. Like I think that it'll have to have to move to a, a point where it's like the value added of watching post production produced coverage is like considerable, like such that you could watch it knowing who wins the event or knowing how people do and still enjoy it. I think that's that's got to be where it trends towards because like in addition to just like watching the live coverage like i was just refreshing the udisc app all weekend like uh yeah. so i had jared iron two get two fantasy disc golf leagues i had ganon buren both of them this week and i was just like sitting by my phone during the playoff just refreshing udisc like waiting to see if if uh if ganon was gonna win like uh so i mean i think that like increasingly like you're you're just gonna have to have to find some way to to make the post-produced coverage provide some kind of value that live can't because i don't think that you can kind of compare them one to one um they have to be different things in order for them to both survive and if they're trying to be the same thing which is like a kind of faithful retelling of the event live is always going to triumph i think yeah i agree but yeah Okay, cool. Well, I already sort of started with the tournament recap by talking about the uh, the end of the MPO. So let's uh, let's move on to that section, and if uh, if that's cool with you. Yeah, definitely. All right, cool. So uh, we'll start with the MPO because I already I already spoiled it. So it was a super exciting tournament uh, on the MPO side. I mean, it was a super exciting tournament on on both sides. We had uh, uh, the young gun Gannon Bure lead or be tied for the lead for most of the tournaments I, I don't think he was in the lead after round one right but uh, but round one onward he was either tied for the leader in the lead um, yeah right starting with round two yeah yeah Dick, chris dickerson was in the lead after after the first round and then after that uh he was not uh <laughs> and so yeah this ultimately ended with a four hole playoff between ganon Bure and and drew gibson um who shot a really hot 13 down in the in the final round to catch Gannon, who shot 10 down, like also shot like an insanely good score. There were a ton of 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 13 downs actually on in the last round, which was exciting. But yeah. so Drew Drew catches Gannon with a 13 down, and then they play uh, a four hole playoff where the whole kind of uh, playoff comes down to Gannon went for a, a longer tee shot. On a par four, he landed in hazard, but he still has a putt. And Drew just went like slightly shorter drive, approach shot. He's 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 birdieing almost certainly. He's got 15 feet, and uh, Gannon banged his birdie putt off the off the top, off the band. And so Drew Drew was able to 
to chip in for the win. Uh, so super exciting. I mean, it was a it was a really cool tournament. Uh, like I was saying, on the last day, there were a bunch of people who who lit it up, including the good Canadian boy Thomas Gilbert, who we we love. We're a big yeah. fan. Uh, I had him in, in fantasy disc golf as well. Uh, <laughs> so I was especially pleased to see him torching the course. Um, yeah. Is there, are there other, other like, uh, players you wanted to talk about? I think Calvin Heimberg's weekend is like kind of hysterical, just like very up and down all weekend. Could not, yeah, could he... not seem to find a rhythm, but was also playing like lights out at times. <laughs> From what I, I, I didn't watch this is the only round of coverage I wasn't able to watch because this is the day I was playing a, a tournament. But on Saturday, it sounded like his his putter went really cold, and he he says if that hadn't happened, he probably would have won. So it sounds like he was playing well, sort of apart from some putting struggles, which which if I recall, he sort of had t- periods of putting struggles last year as well, mm-hmm. sort of when he he cooled off a bit. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see if he can he could pick that up. But for me the big story in the MPO is the the sort of at this time last year we were discussing or it's sort of one of the themes of last year was FPO parity where like there was a lot more tournament legitimate tournament threats in the FPO field. It like maybe wasn't just going to be the page cat show even though it it sort of was like Haley won a few tournaments but Yeah, yeah. Um Oh, Kristen showed up and won some tournaments last year, too. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk about the MPO parody, where it's the first time in uh, quite a while where, to me, it feels like Paul, Ricky, Eagle, Chris, Calvin aren't the only people who are going to be winning tournaments this year. Like, Drew looked yeah. so good, and his putter was hot. And if Drew continues to putt, like this like he did in the dgpt championship he's going to be a tournament threat all year long yeah because because nobody throws backhands like drew does like being able to throw those flip up fairway and mid-range lines will make him a threat not only in the wide open courses but in the woods as well and he's proven he can he can shoot hot rounds there as well gannon looks incredible kevin jones 16 by the way like the, the MPO is doomed. Uh, yeah. Kevin Jones played very well. Uh, Luke Humphreys played even better. Or no, they, they tied. They, I they guess tied they ended up tied. 30, both 35 down. It, this is kind of a wild top 10 to look at in terms of rating. Like you've got Tristan Tanner at 6th at a thousand and one rated. Luke Humphreys is 10-13 rated and he got 4th. Luke Sampson, a player I haven't even heard of to be completely honest Ca- with you. Cast sponsored pro. Okay, yeah, ten sixteen rated though, like you know, in the in the top ten. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Gilbert in the top ten, ten twenty six rated, like a a bunch, a bunch of players, who like I guess you like quote unquote wouldn't uh, wouldn't expect to be quite that high. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, really rose to the occasion. It is kind of interesting. Like the, the, we were talking about it, you and I, like while we were watching the event this weekend. The the one thing about these LVC courses is it's a bit awkward to find space for scoring separation. And I think you see that kind of bearing out in the fact that there's like a tie for fourth, a three-way tie for seventh, a tie for tenth, a tie, a four-way tie for twelfth, a four-way tie for seventeenth. You have like a bunch of people really like clustered together because it, it is like one of these courses where, yeah, like 
at a, the, the courses are are it is it is challenging to get a ton of scoring separation at least yeah but I uh i don't know do you have any any disappointments in the mpo people who you felt like underperformed i i have one um, no we're, i'll i'll say it for you i think ricky wasaki will be pretty pretty disappointed with how how he played i i was watching he he didn't get on lead card but they showed a lot of Ricky highlights and he was missing putts. He was sort of errant off the tee at points. And I think it was, it was pretty clear to me. He hasn't quite dialed in his, his new bag yet. The new bag yet. I mean, seventh is not a horrific finish though. The person I was actually going to say is Kale Visca, who oh, yeah, that's had good, his, good his streak of uh, 304. Cashes. Yeah. Broken. He didn't make the cut. Like he was, he was that bad that he missed the cut. Well, if you uh, made as, the cut, you made cash. So yeah, yeah. So he, so he missed the cut. As did, um, uh, I mean, he's really like the big name. Matt Bell missed the cut. Corey Ellis missed the cut. Uh, Chris Clemens missed the cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Barsby missed the cut. Like there's some like pretty Emerson Keith missed the cut. Like there's there's some good players who missed the cut this at this event on the MPO side. But I, I think of all of them, yeah, the the Kayla Visca having his streak broken that that's a that's a big story well and then maybe put some more pressure on nate sexton see if he can beat the streak because as far as i'm aware he's the only one who's even remotely close right it's even, and i think like, he's still for him to do so 40 or 50 events off of right. kale's streak right so. <laughs> yeah and then obviously like the only other i guess like maybe somewhat disappointing finish but this uh, I mean, the injury kind of explains this. I think like Eagle did not have a great weekend. I mean, he was on lead well, card going into round four, and then he fell apart on in, in round four. And I, I think that that can potentially be attributed. To and having watched the coverage, he had he had some pretty bad breaks. Like he had mm-hmm. some putts that didn't stick. He got a like absolutely he on the first sidearm he throws maybe of the tournament. He throws it really well and just gets like the most horrendous roll away ob to like it went he throws a super overstable disc on a spike hyzer it like bounces kills the the speed off of it and then it somehow rolls like 30 feet diagonally away from the basket to ob like disaster yeah it was kind of baffling how the disc managed to do that but yeah. yeah Yeah. So anyway, so he he had a bad last round. I mean, he was doing well going into that point, but his his last round didn't go. Yeah. Didn't go super hot. I mean, I guess I don't have a ton more to say about the MPO. It was a sweet tournament. The 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 playoff was super exciting to watch. I did go back and watch it after refreshing on my phone over and over again. I think like you know our sort of analysis of like throw far putt good is the way to do well at this tournament. Uh, We were right. Yeah. (laughs) Think we nailed it. We're putting the hottest was weird. and throwing the farthest. I mean, maybe not the actual factual farthest, but but Drew, I mean, elite elite distance and Gannon starting to get up there. I think people would say. Yeah, one one thing I will say is that Gannon clearly had a really thought out game plan for this course and executed it because he was playing some number of holes for par and just taking the danger completely out of them where other players were playing them for like birdie or bogey essentially they were like fully 
yeah committed to grasping the risk minus one or plus two or yeah or plus one whereas ganon was playing them for par and or birdie where lots of other players were going for like eagle and or and or birdie or bogey or double bogey like the score you never know what they were going to get whereas ganon stepped up and you're like all right he's taking a birdie or he's taking a par so i think it's going to be interesting to see if he continues to do that throughout the tournament or throughout the season and show that level of preparedness and and sort of committing to the, to a game plan like that because that that could be a recipe for success as well yeah, yeah just yeah. like the the ease of like you know what you're gonna do you don't need to to think about yeah, it just just execute it. game plan yeah do you think do do your game plan well and, and hopefully that'll uh be enough okay cool well let's move over to talk about the fpo uh the fpo was similarly exciting um so in the fpo we had uh, katrina allen taking it down at 30 under and Paige was at 29 under and you were saying to me you think Paige kind of threw this tournament away a little bit right yeah so Paige on the 18th hole is a is a long par five for the for the women par four for the men but it's it's kind of an interesting hole. It's got like a big chunk of land, and then in the middle, there's a really skinny peninsula with water left and right, and then it sort of widens up again near the the pin. But the pin is like tucked in near Morobi, in the sort of top left of the second portion of the fairway. And so, for the FPO, basically they're all laying up before the bottleneck. Um. And then you have the choice of whether to to attack the green or not. But basically only like the elite distance throwers have that choice. The most of the field in the FPO probably doesn't doesn't have that option. And Paige threw the best drive off the off the tee. So she knew Katrina was laying up, so she had a choice to try to go for the Eagle and win it. Or to put pressure on Katrina. Because Paige could have had assured birdie from where her drive was like she could have thrown putter putter to to the basket and and had birdie but she she took out a zeus and threw her through her approach shot ob and then had to lay up for par and katrina then got to pitch up and take a birdie to win with basically no pressure and so i just think taking that risk on that hole like trying to execute that difficulty of shot. Like it was probably like over 400 feet uphill with OB within 20 feet on two sides of the basket. It's just like, and it's the, the OB is left and long of the basket. So if you're trying to throw a right hand backhand hyzer into the basket, it's so difficult. Yeah. I just, my instant reaction was that was poor, poor course management on, on Paige's part. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I do understand the sentiment of like, maybe from like a confidence perspective, you want to say, I'm going to go win the tournament right here. Like, yeah. You'd rather, you'd rather not set it up such that like, maybe there's a playoff and you don't want to play the playoff or you just like, you want, you want to be like confident in yourself and, and stepping up and saying, I'm going to nail this 
approach shot and throw in an eagle, not throw in an eagle, but have a putt for eagle. Like, I think if, if her approach doesn't go wide, she like is feeling in, incredibly good about that putt and, and probably drains it even if it's like 40 feet or something, you know? Decent chance. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't, didn't seem like a high percentage play to me, but obviously yeah, slightly biased by the fact that she didn't make it. But even before she <laughs> yeah. threw the shot, I was surprised she, because because like the commentators were saying and they were like, oh, what do you think Paige does here? And then it's like, oh, she's got her Zeus. And I'm like, Zeus? Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> Not like this. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the other thing to talk about with the, the FPO is we were sort of curious how the arrival of the Europeans was going to shake things up and i would say uh it was it was interesting right because initially when we talked about it there was some like when when we were giving our ratings of the five best mpo and fpo players in the world uh you had uh like evelina henna and Kristen um in your list which yeah I mean, fair fair enough and then, and then Katrina and Paige, I believe, were your, were your yeah. last two. Uh, and four of those players kind of played up to expectations and got top five at this event. But Hannah missed the cut. She was really like off. Yeah, she did. She didn't have a good tournament. I watched the first round coverage pretty thoroughly, and she. Uh, she looked really nervous. She wasn't. She had a hellacious spit out in round one. Yes, she did. Those baskets and... were disgusting. Yeah, the baskets for this tournament were not good. Um, yeah, look, she just looked nervous. I'll be interested. To, like she, we know she has the talent to play at this level. She throws a mile and has the capability to put down really, really low scores. But yeah, she clearly didn't do that this tournament. She looked shaky off the tee made a bunch of uh mistakes that are relatively uncharacteristic and she wasn't putting very well either she looked yeah lack of confidence and and nerves were were evident and to me it looked like evelina's putter was off this event that that looked to me to be one of her bigger issues yeah she was yeah she also didn't look confident on the putting green but she was at least getting off the tee relatively cleanly and sort of played into it by just mitigating OB a lot and sort of just taking a lot of pars and sort of getting the birdies when, when she could. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously the start of the new season, we were thinking about these, these European players who we hadn't really seen come to play uh, in uh, the U S for a while, but I actually think like the, the most exciting part of this FPO tournament is that it's a bit of like a, like watch out for the, the six digit, um uh PTGA number FPO players, right? You had Ella Hansen and Holland Handley uh make top eight of this event. Um and then uh also worth mentioning is is Kat uh Kat Merch, who is not quite a six digit PTGA number, but she's very close. Uh nine nine four five five. I mean these are three like really young and or new to disc golf uh players who had very exciting tournaments and i'm i'm super stoked to see how the three of them do going forward like i think that there's a lot of potential there for for all three of those players yeah 
And I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to my friend uh, Julie Mowens from from Victoria. Uh, plays the 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 same local course as I do. Uh, she shot the second hot round in round two, uh, nine ninety nine, rated nine under, second only to Katrina Allen's eleven. 11 under, 13 under. 10, 10 under, it looks like. Round two? Or 11 under, 11 under. Katrina oh. shot a 58, Julie shot a 60. Yeah, and Katrina's round was rated very highly. 10, 10 40 maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think she also led the, the tournament in strokes gained putting. So Julie was putting very well. So huge Russia. shout out to Julie. Also super, part of the six-digit PDGA number club. Yeah, super proud of her finish. She ended up finishing tied for 14th in her first like really large tournament. Uh, she only turned pro halfway through last year. So I did have her in one of our fantasy leagues. I I had her in the other one. Yeah, <laughs> you, you did. That's true um okay cool uh we can give you a little bit of a, a fantasy update i guess uh this is totally not because i did particularly well in fantasy this year this uh-huh. week uh-huh uh-huh, uh-huh. but uh so i i mean i did have katrina and ganon in both leagues yeah uh, so i was feeling pretty good about it how did you do this week jar uh not very well i finished last in one league and fifth in a in the other out of out of eight, so yeah, an off week for for me. I I, I picked like Evelina first in in both pools, and it wasn't that she did particularly poorly, but I I had higher aspirations for her. So yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll continue to give you uh, small updates. I swear it won't only happen when I do well. Um, yeah, it'll also happen when I do well. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, if you don't hear about it, you can assume that we both were trash and uh, that someone else was crushing that week. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so from professional disc golf to sanctioned but less professional disc golf, Jerry, you played a tournament this weekend. Yeah. Tell, tell played, me all about it. I played my uh, third ever MA1 tournament, Advanced. Uh second of which was rated the, the first one went really poorly so my goal was just to basically not absolutely tank my rating uh which after round one i was in uh serious doubts about because i shot a round which was 36 points below my rating oh dear which was yeah not not very good it was kind of awkward they did some weird things with the cards for round one there were 13 people in MA1 and mm. we were spread out over six different cards. So not many people were playing with the same people in our division. Like I got put on a card of five with four MP40 players, including two very highly rated MP MP40 players. And I just, I just got some nerves, uh, seeing people like shred the course, hit every putt. Uh, yeah, so round, round one went really poorly. I managed to shave six strokes off my off my round one round and round two. I still wasn't playing particularly well, but I mostly just was able to to mitigate 
a lot of the mistakes I made in round one. So I, I sort of rallied a bit, shot 15-ish points over my rating, 20 maybe. So we stabilized, and, is what you're telling me. Yeah, we, we stabilized <laughs> it a bit, made it not a complete disaster. So yeah, it, it was really fun. And I wanted to shout out the sort of uh, format of the tournament. Uh, it was called a get in, get out, get rated event. So basically what it was is there were, there were no prizes for the event, but it was very low cost of entry. Like your entry fee covered the greens fees, the PD of the, the course, the sanctioning fee for the PDGA. And I think the club took like a very minimal amount per person who entered. Um, and so our area is known for sort of not having very many sanctioned tournaments. So I think this will definitely help get, get more people out there, get some more people interested in getting a PDGA number and getting rated and sort of venturing into the world of more, more competitive disc golf. So yeah, really good, uh, low barrier to entry event series that's happening in if you're interested, might be worth trying to start up in your area as well. That sounds sweet. I uh, I'm looking forward to getting getting a rating this summer, but it would be nice if it wasn't like you know like some super cumbersome process or super expensive. We'll talk yeah, about I... that in a later episode when it gets closer to. I have to figure out what division to enter to. That's going to be very fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, and... Okay. Or oh, sorry, you were going to say something. I was just going to say there's there's two A tiers coming up in in BC that I'm in the process of registering for. One one I registered for today on the day of recording and another one tomorrow. So exciting stuff in the in the world of less professional disc golf. <laughs> slightly less professional disc golf. And by slightly less we mean not not professional disc golf. Usually. Yeah, yeah, se- severely less. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, do you want to move on to our uh, last segment of the show, the old disc on the desk? Yeah. All right, perfect. So this week it's you. You have, you said a hot one. I do, yes. Okay, perfect. So I have to guess, for those who haven't listened before, if you're if you're new to the show, the way that this segment works is basically Jer has a disc on his desk, and I get to ask him yes or no questions and to attempt to identify said disc on that desk. And uh, our record currently is six. Uh, problematically, my disc collection is a little bit uh, homogenous. So there's a lot of a lot of them are from the same manufacturer. So Jer, Jer has me figured out. So I'm really gonna have to channel some kind of uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to be psychic here, I think, to to catch him on six. But I'm gonna gonna try and do better than I did last time, which I think I'd be impressed if you got this one on six. 14 or 15, I think, is what I was last time. So here's hoping I do a little better. All right. Hmm. Is it from the Axiom MVP Streamline family? No. Okay. Is it made in North America? Yes. Okay. Well, that... That helps, but it also doesn't help. Um... Okay. Is it a Prodigy disc? No. 
Okay, that was last time. Crap. Uh, okay, so it can't be... Is it an Innova disc? No. Is it a Discmania disc? No. Is it a Discraft disc? No. Okay. I'm going a bit low on options here for discs produced in North America. What else could it be? Would you describe it as a not very well-known manufacturer? Yes. Uh, that is not ideal. Does this manufacturer make less than five discs? Uh, no. And to clarify, they make more than five discs. Yeah, okay, okay. So it's like a not super well-known manufacturer, uh, but they do make like a non-zero number of discs. Okay, so that rules out a couple. Is it a Thought Space Athletics disc? Yes. Okay, great. Is it a putter? No. Is it a mid-range? No. Is it a fairway driver? No. So it's a distance driver then. Is it... Oh, Christ. What are the distance drivers called? Uh, I can think of the Pathfinder is like a putter. Is it a, oh my God, what is it called? I think they only have one distance driver. Is it? Okay, that, that doesn't help me. I have to remember what the distance driver is called. Uh, what are some other thought space discs I've seen? Oh, 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 oh. is it an Animus? Yes. Whew! Got Nailed there. It. Lucky number 13. All right, well, you know, that's not too bad. Isn't, I guess these kinds of ones are a bit tricky because, like, isn't this one technically made by uh, Innova? No, it's they're made by um, or is it Discraft? M- MVP. Oh, it's MVP, which is why Who, you paused on. Well, it's the, yeah, that's why I was like, well, no, it's not an MVP Axiom yeah, or Streamline yeah. Disc because I I I almost wanted to say yes, but if I said yes, you would never would have got it because it's not one. Yeah, because then I'm just discs, gonna get right. gonna get baited. Yeah. So yeah. if you said if it is it molded by them, I would have said you yes. You would have said yes. But you said yeah. is it one of their discs? One of their discs. I think Fair. I answered correctly. No. No, no, no. Right. I agree. I agree. I agree. No, no, no. I, I definitely agree. All but right. Well, thirteen. It was a bit of a gray area. Yeah, thirteen. Not so bad. I is this disc? So tell tell us about this disc. Does it look so sick? It, yeah, it's 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 a clear animus with like the sort of screaming angry monkey head stamp and it looks looks really cool uh we we have a mutual friend who is the very embodiment of donkey kong and you this is true i bought him one and it looks cool so i bought myself one and i just think of him whenever i i throw it so channel him too that that guy's a stone cold master at uh at disc golf it's true he do throw far uh, not always in the direction he <laughs> intends, but you know, the I, the disc I, will I, go a long way from the point it was thrown. 
I, I have to tell a story. So this friend's name is Pat. I have to tell the story before we go. So Pat and I and a bunch of other people were playing. This is one of the only tournaments I've played. I've played before. It's at Pender Island. We've talked about this course before. And the way that the, the tournament worked was a little weird. It was a four-day tournament, but you just had to play two rounds in that four days that counted as your tournament rounds. And so Pat had showed up a day later than everyone else. So everyone else has done their real rounds. It's just Pat playing his last round, which is his quote-unquote tournament round. And there's like eight or nine of us who are there. And there's been zero aces so far. Like just eight people have played 36 holes of disc golf. Uh, you know, it's like 214 holes or something. 212. I don't know. My math is not great. But uh, a lot of holes of disc golf, no aces. Pat steps up to, well, actually, it's even more because it's 27 holes because Pender is a 27-hole course. And it, I digress. Pat steps up to hole 27. It's the last possible hole. And he, he's like, oh, man, no one has an ace? All right, I mean, I, I'll get it right here. Don't worry. And sure enough, smashes an ace. <laughs> yeah. Last, last possible opportunity. <laughs> it's a shame there wasn't um, a black ace pot because he also got a black ace that tournament. Was it that tournament? I don't remember. It, it sure was. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's a. I I just had to tell that story. It's too sick. <laughs> so thanks so much for listening to the show this week. I don't know, Jared. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before we go? Nothing from me. All right. Perfect. So thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you want to contact us, you can email us at the hour at gmail.com. If you want to find us on social media, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at the disc golf hour, all one word. Uh, if you want to find Jerry, you can find him on Twitter at JRH white. And if you're looking for me, you can find me on Instagram at LC disc world. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.